From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. What does standing by while bad things happen do to us psychologically and spiritually? That's the question Father Rod Bauer has been asking himself. For almost 10 years, Father Rod wrote messages in support of refugees, climate action and same-sex marriage on the sign out the front of his Gosford church. But according to him, years of political point scoring on these issues has done more than just delay action. It's injured us all. Today, Archdeacon Rod Bauer on Australia's moral injury and how we can begin to heal. It's Thursday, June 9. Rod, you've become quite well-known in recent years as a result of the signs that you've been placing out the front of your church. These signs, they're political, they're controversial sometimes. So maybe you could start by telling me about which one's your favourite. Oh, my favourite, that's hard. So he's a minister in the Anglican Church and he's the one who puts the signs, I mean, they will have the signs out the front, but he's the one who makes signs that are a little bit more left of centre, I suppose, is a good way of putting it. I guess the original one that was controversial anyway um, was, uh, dear Christian, some people are gay, get over it, love God. That was the first controversial one. There was always other signs there, but that was the first one that gains a lot of attention. Father Rod Bauer is a priest with a difference. He's got progressive views about marriage equality and asylum seekers, and he is not afraid to show them particularly. It was the one that helped us realise that we had a platform that we could speak into issues that were uh, concerning people or challenging people, and so that kind of remains one of my favourites. I mean, you've got some political ones as well. I mean, I, I love these sort of th- sort of things. Um, you know, we're, our children are pining over Gonski. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you've got messages for Tony Abbott, you've got messages for Scott Morrison. This is not the usual sort of signage one sees at the church. How do you like Primarily, I, I think, under all that, my desire was to put a Christian voice uh, into some of these important um, social conversations that was a, a different voice to some of the other Christian voices that were being heard. So I wanted people to know that not everybody that is a follower of Jesus, you know, is a gun-toting fundamentalist <laughs> in that sense. Hmm. And can you tell me a little bit more, Rod, about the reaction that you got as you continued to put these signs up and as they were reproduced on social media and the attention really started to peak. What was it like getting more and more intense kind of interest in what you were doing? Polarised reaction, as you would expect from both sides of various debates. Uh, On the more progressive side, of course, people, I think, breathed a sigh of relief that there was a religious figure that was actually speaking out uh, in a positive way on this issue. Uh, And so uh, people who had a very conservative uh, religious mindset around that issue uh, were very upset with me and um, wrote all sorts of letters to the bishop and and, um, and uh, you know, demanding that I be sacked and various other things. Um, and then, you know, at one stage, um, we, uh, you know, we had to have, you know, some moderate level of protection, uh, especially when I went to speak at outdoor events. And the police at one stage said, well, you, you need to let us know when you're going to talk at something. 
you know, they were just sort of being extra conscious that there, there, there may be people around who, uh, who didn't agree with me to the point where they might want to cause some harm. Mm. Did you get death threats? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. We um, had one particular threat just prior to the Mardi Gras. Uh, I forget which, what year it was. It was the first time I went uh, in the Sydney um, Mardi Gras and um, it was something like, oh, we've got you in our crosshairs. And uh, I thought, oh, this is, that's a little bit scary. And, and my wife, Kerry, and I had a conversation about, you know, whether this was worth it to, to do this. And we, um, I get emotional when I talk about it, but we, um, there were young people who were dying um, because of the, the, the cultural context of their lives. And um, we, we felt that, you know, if they were dying, then this was a, a risk that was worth taking to uh, speak into that context in a way that perhaps gave a, a different perspective for those young people. But it's, it was interesting. I got um, on the float and, and I was nervous and I was watching, you know, first floor windows and curtains moving and all sorts of weird things like that. And, and, uh, but after about 10 minutes, I just got fueled up by the, the atmosphere of the, of the night and forgot all about it and, and all was well. But, yeah, there were, there were things like that that um, uh, did cause some anxiety. Mm. Yeah, and so these signs that you're putting up, they're really just one thread of the broader activism that you're involved in, I guess, when it comes to LGBTI rights and also the way refugees are treated in Australia and I think also climate change as well. And I wonder, can you tell me a bit more about what it's been like to be fighting for those kinds of things for the past 10 years, a time in which, at least for some of those issues, there has been very little progress? Well, it, incredibly frustrating, I'd have to say. And we, you know, questioned at some stage, you know, what was the point in, you know, especially after the 2019 election, um, you know, were we actually achieving anything? And um, we had various conversations uh, around, you know, what approach might need to be taken. But we, we also realised that there are, there are lots of wonderful people doing all sorts of other things as well. And so that we also realised that we're only a very small spoke in a very big wheel uh, and that t- together that collective voice was really part of uh, the catalyst for change in our collective psyches around some of these issues. Mm. I want to talk a bit more about our collective psyche, I suppose, and the impact of the last sort of 10 years, particularly I think when it comes to inaction on something like climate change and I guess the kind of politics that we've had as well in this country and and the effect that you think that that has had on all of us. Well, I, I name this as moral injury because I, mean, I didn't invent the term. It came out of the, uh, the aftermath of the Vietnam War. Uh, a, a psychiatrist by the name of uh, Jonathan Shea, who would, was working with uh, veterans who had come back from the war, uh, identified it even if they hadn't participated themselves in any kind of atrocity, that the fact that they were uh, part of a culture or a society that did uh, they themselves felt that their character, their very being, had been diminished uh, by those events. I think you can uh, apply that particular theory in a much wider sense to any society or culture that um, has participated in the, the diminishing of other human beings. 
uh, whether it be on the issues of human sexuality or, uh, or refugees, and, and even the, the failure to act in, in any way in, in terms of mitigating global heating has diminished us um, quite considerably, diminished our national character and our, our psyche. And, and so part of <laughs> me raging against the dying of the light uh, has, in some deep sense within myself, um, been seeking to, you know, to mitigate that feeling of moral injury uh, where I've been part of Australian society that has behaved in such a, an awful way towards the often very vulnerable people. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Can you tell me a little bit more about what this term moral injury, which, as you say, comes from the Vietnam War, means in terms of the Australian context, the things that have happened here that you see as parallels? It's hard to name one thing because I, I think depends on people's experience and perspective. They may all name different things, I think. But for me, the, the treatment of refugees uh, over the last 10 years has inflicted upon uh, me as, a, as, a, as, a, as an individual because I spent a lot of time with refugees and um, asylum seekers and um, you know, sitting in hosp- side hospital beds with people on hunger strikes uh, and, and the devastation that comes from the diminishing of um, of people's lives in that way. So for me, that was that's the big one, and I think that's why I kind of raged against it so much because I, d- I just felt so diminished by our treatment of these people and, and, and saw how incredibly diminished and, and damaged and harmed these people had been uh, listening to the stories. Uh, they're just devastating stories um, of how people were treated on Manus and Nauru. It, it's OK to say, well, I didn't vote for them or I wasn't there or I didn't do it, but there's a sense in which I did because I'm part of a, a whole society uh, that didn't say no uh, uh, to that. And, and politicians sense that we wouldn't say no, in fact sense that there may be some political gain in this. And my, you know, my distress in this is what does that say about us? If our leaders sense that this will gain them some political ground, what does it say about us as a society? 
Mm. And what are the effects on us as a society of experiencing something, I suppose, the moral injury of those actions? What Jonathan Shay says about this is moral injury is that which diminishes character. Um, and I feel that the last 10 years of our political life has diminished our character as, as a people, as a nation. Um, and we human beings as, as a whole are pretty good at, um, at going into denial and, and papering over the cracks around this kind of stuff. And I, I think that's, that is not a good thing because un, until we really engage the reality of that diminishing of character, the capacity there is for it to always happen again uh, and even in worse ways, um, as I think, you know, that often quoted William Blake quote that, uh, uh, you know, for evil to occur, good people just need to do nothing. And so that idea of taking a stand and saying this is what I believe in, which I suppose is what you were doing in a way through those signs, is that the cure for a moral injury? No, no, I, I think the, well, um, the, the cure for moral injury is, uh, or, or, or the, the way it, it's healed, um, perhaps is a better way of putting it, uh, is through truth-telling and then having had that truthful conversation, some kind of justice, um, of restorative justice, uh, not so much punitive justice because I think that just morally wounds everybody again and again and again, but, but restorative justice where um, just compensation is not only paid uh, in um, financial terms, uh, that's only a small part of restorative justice, uh, but where a, a, a society says that we have learnt from that and now we will be different. So the other issue, I guess, is is the some kind of um, uh, integrity commission, National Integrity Commission, that has true authority to bring about restorative justice. And so where are you at now personally with your activism? Because that first sign, that would have gone up almost a decade ago now and it sounds like you've been on a real journey since then. So I just wonder when you take a look around at where we're at now as a country, what do you think? Do you have much hope? Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hopeless hoper really I, I, uh, because I, I see in my job I have the privilege, the, the enormous privilege of um, engaging other human beings in some of their most vulnerable and difficult times. And I see sometimes the, the best, I do see sometimes the worst, but more often I see the, the best of humanity, I see the potential of humanity, uh, the resilience of humanity, the, the desire of human beings to connect, to love, um, and somehow we've lost the language for that. People find it really hard to talk about love in ways other than, you know, romantic or um, a kind of love, but to talk about deep, the deep love that we human beings can have for one another. Uh, and I hope one day we might you know, regain um, um, the ability uh, to say to another human being, I love you, uh, 
in a way that um, heals the soul. Father Rod, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the High Court has found that the detention of Indigenous man Brendan Toms was legal. Toms was detained by immigration for more than 500 days due to not having Australian citizenship. While a High Court decision in 2020 led to Toms being released from detention, on Wednesday in Toms' bid to claim compensation, the High Court found that his detention was not illegal. And the Federal, State and Territory Energy Ministers have convened an emergency meeting in a bid to address nationwide escalating gas and electricity prices. The emergency meeting to address the energy crisis comes as an open letter was delivered to the ministers from businesses and housing groups who called for a speedier move away from natural gas as a solution to Australia's power crisis. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.